Welcome to Mastering Embedded Systems. I am Georg Lohre. Mastering Embedded Systems brings together what is needed to succeed in embedded systems projects. Imagine a mixture of worthwhile information, different know-how, tons of expertise and tough lessons into one program. This podcast brings you the tools and know-how previously only available to really high performers. I may not have all of the answers, but I do have a lot of the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with Mastering Embedded Systems to get some great free content. Do not miss details by signing up for the newsletter at embeddedsuccess.com. And if you like what you hear at the episode, come hang out with me on the show notes, where we can get really in-depth on somebody's topics. This episode is about the Internet of Things. I have joined the IoT Tech Day in Frankfurt beginning of July. We are talking about the chances the IoT offers and about potential problems and challenges we might get into contact with. Today I wanted to start a new format, the Engineers Chat. Not a pure interview, but a relaxed chat between engineers. Today I have with me Markus Behrens, a wholehearted engineer with lots of experience, but a very different view on the topics compared with mine. Be excited for the interview and enjoy the episode. Markus Behrens is from SAP. SAP is a big German company and it's producing or manufacturing business software. We become acquainted at the IoT Tech Day in Frankfurt beginning of July. Markus is responsible for searching and identifying product opportunities within IoT. His official role is product design director within product and innovation. What means he is one of the masterminds at SAP belonging IoT and the Internet of Things. But he is also a guy experimenting with the Arduino and deeply interested in the technical details of IoT. But as mentioned, Marcus combines not only the technical approach, but much more the product perspective. And that's something regularly out of view from Commons engineers' perspectives. Marcus' official tasks are innovation and user experience. So he is eagerly looking for the potential, which is inside of the Internet of Things technology, and also about the kind of a product ideas which might be possible to realize within or with IoT. And belonging the user experience, he is eagerly looking for the improvement of user experience with Internet of Things. Uh, we get very much in a very good contact and very good discussion already at the beginning of the IoT Tech Day. And uh, this, was the, this was the starting point for me to get in contact with him also after the meeting, after the IoT Tech Day. And we have had a long email discussion about IoT. And it got to, we got to the point where he said, hey, let's have a discussion about that one and record it and provide it and present it to a bigger audience. Enjoy this episode and the talk with Markus Behrens.
Hi, Markus. Thank you for joining us at the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Hello. I'm interested in your opinion about the IoT, the Internet of Things, the IoT Tech Day. We both have joined together in Frankfurt and the chances and potential problems we can point out with the IoT. If we look at the IoT in a more general perspective, there is, uh, since decades, where is the work on sensor networks ongoing? And this kind of uh, IoT is more or less the logical progression of, progression of sensor networks. And uh, But sensor networks as a term has been replaced by network of things and finally as with Internet of Things. So what is from your perspective the Internet of Things? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that take the term very broadly. Uh, we saw Mr. Ashton, who was one of the, of the inventors of RFID in the Tech Day, IoT Tech Day in Frankfurt. And it was impressive to see his vision of the Internet of Things of being like a nervous system of the world emerging. So today, every organ in the world is disconnected, and the idea is to connect all of it together. Um, instead of via humans, via networks, and via intelligence, and via automation. Uh, I think that's quite a, that's a, quite a lofty goal. Um, I wonder how, how we can get there. What's my opinion on what IoT is? I'm working with SAP on applications in the space, and um, I understand, yes, there have been sensors in machines for a long time, uh, but mostly to control um, the functioning of the machine itself, uh, and then also not necessarily to look at the functioning of the machine over time and in relation to, to other machines. And I think Internet of Things is trying to Uh, to create uh, connectivity between different machines and also processes of different domains, um, business processes with machines, machines with people. Um, and secondly, to also look at it um, as a, a, a huge amount of data that is generated out of all of this um, interaction and all of these sensor readings. And then looking at what can I do with this data? How can I leverage information not just from one machine but from multiple different machines mm. and processes that interact with each other and how can i learn something about how this works how can i make it more efficient how can i track things much more precisely um, and cr create both efficiencies and new products and services from it mm -hmm. yeah okay that's that's amazing it it sounds more or less like a kind of change over the paradigm as um, As Kevin mentioned, the Kevin Ashton who mentioned this or who has uh, introduced this term of Internet of Things mentioned one time, if I quote that here correctly, it's, we need to empower computers with their own means of gathering information so we can see, hear and smell the world for themselves without the limitations of human entered data. So it's something really completely different as we observed until now. Yes, mm -hmm. I have to say I'm still learning about this area. So far, I have been working for about almost 30 years on building business applications, supporting mm. business processes. And uh, just recently, I did uh, a course with um, the school of my daughter where I worked with students on putting sensors everywhere into the school and starting to measure, um, measure stuff. And uh, one thing that was uh, quite apparent is it's not so easy to take some sensor readings and uh, make sense of them uh, right away. You have to do a lot of work mm -hmm. to have a meaningful interpretation of the sensors 
for something uh, useful. And then you have to set things up uh, efficiently to, to, to make this work. So this is at mm -hmm. a very small scale of just putting like sensors in SAP's office buildings to measure how many people are in a room uh, up to um, a Heidelberger print machine, which has uh, more than 100,000 parts and certainly a lot of subsystems and an industrial PC inside with um, thousands of sensors. There's, of course, a lot of a big spectrum between those things, but uh, we're tr I'm trying to embrace this personally and uh, we, we SAP as a company are trying to find our place in this and uh, are looking especially to innovate together with our customers. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for, the, for the audience, for it might be interesting here, it's not only about these big players like Heidelberg print machines here, but Markus is also an inventor at that point for a small uh, gadget tool here. It's for illuminating his house or the valley. He's staying there using an Arduino. What's about that, Markus? Yes, so the last hardware project I did was 30 years ago when <laughs> I put uh, a DA converter uh, analog to in an AD converter, analog to digital mm -hmm. on a printer port to uh, do music sampling, which uh -oh. at the time was 8 bits. And yeah, was right, very yeah, it's a Centronics port. Yeah, but the it worked, yeah. it worked, uh, but this was my last hardware project for uh -huh. 30 years. And uh, then I learned more about, more about prototyping Uh, while building software, but also prototyping when doing physical prototypes. Uh, we use a method called design thinking, where we mm -hmm. build all sorts of contraptions to emulate as if we would have a solution. Now, if you add electronics to that, that's even greater. So I started to play with Arduino January 2014. And the first project was basically to get a light from the other side of the valley, where On Sundays in the winter, we would be um, doing hiking because it's sunny there. And mm -hmm. where our living room is, it's dark in the winter because uh, the Königstuhl is putting his shade uh, onto our house. And so um, I took a mirror with me, put it there, held it there, and there was light in the living room for a few seconds, but then the sun moved on. So I built something with two stepper engines and um, an Arduino Mega, uh, a clock that's a rather precise clock. Um, an algorithm that calculates where the sun is at any given time and day at any given position on the earth. Uh, we, there's a few examples of those algorithms. And then uh, move the mirror such that um, all throughout the day, um, the light would be projected into our living room. Mm -hmm. oh, that, that, that sounds great. And there is a link Uh, I will I will forward in the show notes about this. Uh, there is a small movie. It's made by the Landeschau, what's a, a regional um, a news magazine and on the TV. So you can see the the, the gadget or the tool that uh, Marcus has invented there. Uh, let's yes, have a look there. Yeah. What does this have to do with Internet of Things? Mm -hmm. So the initial prototype was easy and quick to build. And I think uh, ready availability of prototyping platforms like Arduino, easy to use and learn because of the community in the internet, that was one factor that made it possible. But I think where Internet of Things comes in is when I need to run this day in, day out in a remote location mm -hmm. on the other side of the valley on a property that I don't have access to uh, readily. So this is where I put in a GSM module, a SIM card, um, a solar panel to power it uh, via from the sun. And um, this is also when I started monitoring this thing. I started to creating logs. I started to 
do the kind of things that you do if you build an embedded system that is embedded on someone else's property and mm -hmm. you don't have access to it and you need to make sure that it runs uh, for years. And that's quite a challenge because I, I was never a hardware or electronics engineer, always only software. And uh, dealing with that was, was quite difficult. What really helped was to have the ability to have remote access or to have remote monitoring, uh, to have um, the ability to remote control, um, and then um, continuously monitoring and learning about how to do that, uh, like sensor readings, interpret the sen sensor readings, uh, false positives, uh, false negatives. Uh, mm -hmm. That was quite an experience and learning curve. I can imagine. It's We are exactly at that point of technical challenges for IoT here. And you already mentioned before the thousands of sensors used in some big machines. That's one part. And the other one is using some small systems like Arduino for a for a simple sensor. So it looks like some kind of over-engineering, but I assume it's acceptable due to the price and to the additional possibilities you achieve though you have the remote access you have the reprogramming facility and potentially also the low pro the, the the low level programming that's possible to do it so mm -hmm. so it seems that uh, that uh, small systems like arduino or like yeah other systems that are more custom made will replace um, let's say a dumb sensor who has no interoperability facilities at all Yes, uh, we have a project uh, that deals with uh, street lighting mm -hmm. and um, street lighting um, so far is dumb. Uh, you turn yeah. on the light when it gets dark, you turn it off when it's uh, light again. Uh, adding a sensor to look at the light condition makes it a little more smart, mm -hmm. but adding additional sensors to look for other things um, in a city is something that's interesting. Uh, for example, how many people are moving through the street? How much traffic is there? Is there an emergency situation? Is there a mm. free parking spot? Um, and one thing that was interesting to see was to really understand what's going on around um, such a sensor node. It's good to have multiple sensors and some capability to process the information between those sensors. Mm -hmm. If you just get the dumb sensor readings uh, with high high bandwidth um, into some cloud server, I think it's not as efficient as doing some processing um, where the sensor node is with information, some pre-processing to really aggregate the information and interpret the information in, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. There was a guy, uh, after uh, after we have visited the IoT Tech Day, I was discussing with the guy who has already some experience with IoT and the system at all. Uh, and he, he told me, IoT is not only sensors, it's also, as you just mentioned, about this kind of small devices you need to make some kind of pre-processing because you will, in future time, you will not have all the bandwidth, the mobile capacity, storage capacity, or, or even not the processing capacity of a central host to do all these nasty little small calculations. Yes, I agree. Kevin Ashton also at the conference. So he was one of the visionaries, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had the, the companies that's, that pitched their products like SAP, yeah. Salesforce, and all of them in that space. The visionary, uh, Kevin, uh, also talked about the fact that a nervous system is something where you don't have processing only in your brain. Although mm. some of us uh, who like computers might think this way, that only the brain is acting. But when they're moving around uh, the office, uh, there's many different nodes 
where information is processed and reacted to and uh, transmitted. And even the transmission and the processing and the transmission nodes is still processing. So I think such a system, if we follow the idea of the nervous system, is more powerful than a system where you have dump sensors and then only some central processing unit um, in many ways. Also Mm -hmm. in regards of uh, resilience uh, to failure of certain communication and network um, but also, uh, I think it doesn't make sense. Um, the amount of data in a bigger machine is terabytes of data yeah. each day. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to have some local processing. Um, um, and then you, the key question is, which data do you use to yeah. combine it with data from other processes, machines, or people uh, to, make, uh, to make an innovation, to make something that's, uh, that's creating an additional value that wasn't there before? Mm. I see uh, from from my perspective the data and analytics path is one of the major technical challenges in uh, for belonging IoT it's not that much the standards for like for interoperability that's some technical issue that that will be sooner or later will be resolved and also not the hardware and also not the software but how do we handle this as you mentioned this gazillion of uh, of data terabytes which will come out of the networks uh, towards the host system, that will be simply not possible. Not because of the bandwidth, but simply because of the handling possibility. And um, this is something that might, that must be covered not only by the visionaries, but also by the, uh, by the providers of such kind of systems. And that leads us to the, to the exhibitors at this IoT Tech Day. Um, as I already mentioned here, it, we have had Wind River, Intel, SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, and Accenture. And uh, what I I have my my very particular opinion about this tech day, but I'm very interested in your experiences about this special exhibition we have visited. Um, one thing I observed was um, very often in the software world, um, companies are showing stacks. Mm-hmm. A stack is something that runs on one machine. And uh, I think in this idea of the Internet of Things, the old way of looking at, at, at it like with a stack uh, diagram on a chart, uh, on, a, on a slide, is perhaps not appropriate. So I found that Wind River and um, I think also some of the customers or partners that presented were rather showing network diagrams mm. of things interacting via networks. And I think that's that's more appropriate. I think the stack thinking is about a, one bigger machine that does everything, and you have stacks of technologies on top of each other. Uh, I just felt um, that uh, none of the, the software vendors were very good in thinking in this networked way. Uh, that was just my personal impression. Uh, that, that absolutely, I, I totally agree with you about that one. So for me, this was uh, some kind of business event to show that, and there were some technical slides be shown. And uh, but finally, it was not the things I have expected as an engineer. It was more or less something like looking eagerly for business cases. Here, I'm quite astonished about this situation, and uh, these companies, they all seems to be working independently of each others. We have the same ideas, more or less. It has been clear as we, sh- as we have seen the slides we have presented, and, uh, but the, uh, we are not working together. So as just mentioned before, 
simply already for the sensors, we will have or we will have the need for standards and also for the communication because you cannot assure that uh, the company X is using sensors of different companies and that uh, it that this company concentrates only on, on, on one provider or one manufacturer of sensors. So it must be it, there must be the interoperability must be available or must be provided. And this one is I'm, I'm missing heavily at the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I saw, um, I, and I'm not looking for what particular piece of offering from Salesforce or from SAP mm-hmm. is m- more interesting. I'm looking for use cases. I'm someone who's working on applications. I'm not mm-hmm. working on technology. And so one thing that I saw uh, in two places in the conference, one in a customer presentation, one was in a vendor presentation, was um, the combination of human and machine intelligence, uh, where you have the machine coming up with some hypothesis, uh, the machine coming up with a set of rules, and then uh, humans coming up with other hypotheses and with rules, and those two interacting with each other. I know personally this example from the insurance space where automatically generated rules to detect fraud Mm -hmm. are nice, nice, but they're not as good as if you combine them with some uh, people looking at those rules and then also bringing in their own rules like real people, humans, uh, to even further improve um, the fraud detection capability. And I've seen this in two other presentations at the show as as a common pattern. So it means... It's nice to have something that uh, can fully automate something and come up with its own rules, but it's even better if you combine it with humans and that perhaps also leaves a, a space for us humans, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for us to, uh, left. Also, what you mentioned with what do we do with all that data? Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a lot of people in business that are still working more qualitatively, qualitatively and not so much quantitatively. And I think there will be much more quantitative work, uh, KPI-driven work, um, and um, there will be a lot of education necessary to make people aware of how do you count stuff, how do you add things up, how do you how do you measure things, how, what do you do with those measures, how do you continuously tune things, um, and I think that's a, that's a, so. Other than having data scientists that know R and that know Python to to do data mining. You also need one level down uh, that people are getting more used to. We track everything and we track everything with numbers. You need to get used to understand those numbers, interpret those numbers, also understand rules that systems come up with, uh, create your own rules and learn how to combine them. And Mm -hmm. I think that's quite a challenge for the the, the common workforce. At least myself in my work, I've never worked based on numbers uh, as a product manager and as a software developer but that might be partly the domain. Yeah, but absolutely. It's for that, from that perspective, I, I see um, tons of chances for this IoT stuff. Yeah. So we have not only in a technical area or in, a, in industries belonging to technical stuff only, but also in things, as you just mentioned, for the fraud detection or, or anything else you can imagine, it changes the paradigm of how to think about computer network computer connected systems and sensors being connected with each others so it's simply something completely different what we will observe within the next years i can give an example in Go the pu- public sector yeah 
um, cities uh, are, are growing. Cities are becoming more uh, important. Um, they're um, an incubator for many things. And uh, the number one problem in most cities is traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, traffic control, steering traffic, multimodal traffic, it's really a big challenge. And um, today, for example, in most German cities, the way that you look at traffic is you have uh, counting of traffic um, every every once a year. Uh, someone goes out there and he clicks on a little counter to count how many cars go by on a on a certain time of the day. <laughs> yes, and I think that is, is is sort of the level at which some business is. Like you do it only at certain times. You have certain people who are experts in analyzing the data. Now, in the future, um, every car passing through a street will be counted individually. Mm-hmm. The car, of course, counts himself, and like Google tracks him and whatever. But also, the all the sensors around will make it possible to track everything in very minute detail. And then uh, you can look at managing traffic much uh, very differently, um, collaboratively uh, working like uh, ways, like the ways tool bought by Google, um, with the people who participate in the system in a collaborative way. Uh, facilitated by all this data mm-hmm. and i think uh, that's a huge shift uh, from you do once a year some counting of cars yeah. to you do it all the time and then you continuously improve it um, even like if you put up um, if there's a construction in your city and there's one street that's obstructed you actually have a system of how to react to that that's not uh, just one one detour but it's actually dynamic you 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 do a detour that really mm-hmm. works, and you check that the detour works. And then, if um, the the construction site is down, you check that traffic goes back to normal. And if not, you look for actions on how to get it back to normal to use the streets to the maximum capacity or uh, the different uh, modes of transportation to maximum capacity. Mm. That sounds that sounds really great, especially if we look at the benefits of that one. But if I want to put my finger into the wound here, it's a little bit also, it has some additional challenges or challenges which are uh, raised by such kind of opportunity. And I have two major challenges or parts of challenges in mind. It's One is the legal challenge. So what about this data? It's we have privacy, we have security, we have integrity and consistency concerns. We have, uh, there was just now with Windows 10, there was this end-user license agreement where there was some misunderstanding inside that the data on your hard drive is directly investigated and captured by Microsoft themselves. So we have to provide it or forward that to law enforcement uh, in in United States. So there might be national laws with different privacy protections and what about what do you think about this kind of legal challenge if we consider the opportunities on the other side? How do we manage that? Yes, uh, this will be a, a big shift. Uh, um, it will take some time for regulation to mm. take its course. And um, SAP has been providing business systems, for example, for financials mm-hmm. uh, in companies. And um, uh, we have succeeded in creating processes that work for the company and that also comply to regulations um, that comply to how do you report revenue and uh, to have transparency and to have 
uh, at the same time also control for the company over its financials. And I think it's an example of where first, in, in some cases, there was first coding from SAP and secondly, there was regulation that was saying, oh, the way that SAP mm. does it, let's mm -hmm. make this a regulation. Okay. Uh, but of course, in the financial uh, area of a company, things are moving a little slower mm. and it's very conservative. And then, um, so we did a, a session with some engineers and designers here at SAP where some people were very concerned about the, the the sensors and all the data that's collected and privacy and we had a like a one-day workshop and at the end of the workshop uh, some of the people from sap that were very concerned um can should we go down this road is this something that's 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 manageable felt based on what we had in the past that we can also no. broker the interest of those companies uh, and also of individuals in um, individuals in the area of Internet of Things, that we can find ways of establishing processes on how information is shared, which like which data is used by whom. Um, I actually find that the notion that who owns the data mm -hmm. is come is coming from this notion that data is something that can be owned. And that I think the key question is rather who has which rights to make use of the data mm -hmm. at which level. Yeah. For example, uh, very people are very readily free and available, and they're they're happy to do it to give uh, their personal health tracker information and the heart rate monitor to someone who does medical studies uh, for cancer research or for something some good cause, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, if it's for military uh, research, then uh, an individual person might say, no, I don't want to give them my data. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know cases where there's a manufacturer of a, of a, uh, of a big, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like a big conveyor in, uh, in a harbor, and this conveyor transports goods. So this conveyor has inside engines, it has uh, gears inside, and even the gears, in some cases, have sensors. Uh, the engine has sensors. Now, the people who care about the data that's generated in this big conveyor are uh, the manufacturer, uh, the component manufacturer of the engine and of the gear, uh, the uh, insurer, uh, the operator, uh, the harbor um, a facility who needs to track operations in the harbor. So I just listed five groups that are interested in the data. Mm -hmm. Today, yep. I've seen contracts where, for example, the operator gets everything and the manufacturers get nothing. And um, also the owner and the insurance company also gets nothing. And I think this is something where the interest between the different groups who want the data in the B2B space even is not dealt with uh, in a good way. Mm. Uh, I think, so, so my overall opinion, just to sum it up, is we need, to, we need to find ways how to broker um, how data can, what usage rights exist for which people on, on data that is uh, shared. And then secondly, um, there will be regulation that will augment this and support this, um, that will sort of enforce that something is unlawful or something is lawful. Mm. Uh, I think regulation, as usual, will will lag behind, and the first uh, step is to explore these scenarios, uh, come up with ways of brokering it, and then only in certain cases where someone is really 
uh, stepped on his toes and his rights yeah. uh, are, are hurt and there's legal damage, there's uh, financial damage, then perhaps we need regulation. That's already a great final statement, Marcus. I have two major impressions out of our interview here. So it's, the first one is I'm really happy that SAP or that some big players are really not only thinking about this kind of, of course, we are thinking about business opportunities, but there are also, as you just mentioned with this workshop about, about privacy and all that stuff. So this is something I said, yeah, these guys take care. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, I got the impression we have a really totally new, exciting way of how to experience the world, how to manage our own world, and how to, yeah, how to overcome it in, in, in future times. There might be a really amazing tools and amazing possibilities be unveiled or being created within the next decades. So I'm really excited for that. I agree. Marcus, thank you very much for staying in, the, uh, in, in this episode. It was a great pleasure to have you. Many thanks to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. This was the Engineer's Talk with Markus Behrens. The links mentioned in the discussion you will find at the show notes embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 07. Embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 07. Now I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience with Internet of Things? Do you have already experienced with it? Where do you have seen it? Do you have already come into contact with IoT either directly by your work or perhaps also in your private area where you might get into contact with the details and the gadgets of IoT. Or do you see chances or risks or challenges we have mentioned? For sure you do. Do not hesitate and comment on the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 07. We would love to hear from you. Also send me your feedback for future episodes of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You can ask questions, send me suggestions about things you'd like me to cover in Mastering Embedded Systems. Just give me an email, feedback at embeddedsuccess.com or a Twitter message. Or give me a phone call on plus 497735 All details available on embeddedsuccess.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please send me a rating at iTunes or Stitcher to raise this podcast in popularity. Or forward this podcast to your buddies. They might have looked for this kind of information for already a long time. That's it for the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast for today. I am Georg Lora. Thank you so much for joining my podcast. Please remember this podcast is about managing your embedded projects. I'm back next time with another great episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Thank you for joining me.